Built Not Born, episode 129. Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone. Today's guest is Dr. Trisha Berto. Trisha Berto is the professor and vice chair of microbiology, immunology, and inflammation at Temple University's Lewis Katz School of Medicine. Dr. Berto is at the forefront of AIDS research. She and her team are searching for a cure. Dr. Berto and I discuss the decades-long search in the hunt for the cure for HIV AIDS. Uh, we discuss the latest treatments, experimental therapies, the latest research to cure one of the most mysterious diseases known to humankind. I have heard about AIDS my whole life. Didn't understand much about it until I met Dr. Berto a while back and she was gracious enough to come on the show to share the latest research, what she's doing, what the hunt for the cure looks like now. It is one of the more high science episodes you'll see on Built Not Born. Dr. Berto does an amazing job of walking us through the science, bringing the science down to an everyday level that the average person can understand. And uh, she shows a wealth of knowledge of what's out there, what's coming, and the hope for a cure. So Dr. Berto, if you're listening, I appreciate you coming on the show. I think I just added three more credits to my college transcript on that microbiology course I never took. So I appreciate you. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button or better yet, sign up for our YouTube channel. Watch this interview on YouTube and visit our new blog, our new Substack blog, the Built Not Born blog. One post every week summarizing each episode sent directly to your mailbox. Easy to sign up, easy to cancel. If you would do that, I'd appreciate it. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Trisha Berto, Vice Chair of Microbiology, Immunology, and Inflammation at Temple University's Katz School of Medicine. And remember, life is built, not born. Dr. Trish Berto, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Um, glad to be here. <laughs> Excited to have you. Dr. Berto, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? My name is Trish Berto. I'm a PhD. I'm a professor and vice chair of the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, Inflammation at Temple Lewis Katz School of Medicine. And I mostly do HIV research. I do some teaching and some other things, but I have a big research program at Temple Med. What I'd like to do is get into A, AIDS. So something that is a disease I've heard about, don't really understand that much, but it's something I've heard of since probably back in the late 80s. I think it really came to head when I was in school. I remember Magic Johnson, one of like just the legends of sports who was, I think, kind of in his prime of his career still, came down with it. We're like, whoa. And we thought he was going to die like in three days when we heard magic got it. And he's, he's still here. I want to talk about the disease, what it is, what it's not, what it's like living with it, the research you're doing, and how close we are to a cure. Does that work for you? Sure. Sounds great. Yeah. Before we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. What first inspired you getting an interest in research and in particularly AIDS? 
I got my PhD from Penn State um, College of Medicine in Hershey. So originally I'm from Massachusetts, but I I was like applying to grad school and I said, you know what, I'm going to apply to this Penn State. So I applied to Penn State and I went to school there and one of the faculty members there was doing really interesting research on HIV. His name was um, Brian Wigdahl, Dr. Wigdahl. So I rotated in his lab and then I just really enjoyed it. I wanted to study something that had some relevance to human disease. And because when you get your PhD, you can study things like sea urchins or you can study zebrafish. Or I really wanted to study something that I, I felt really passionate about. And obviously growing up in the 80s and 90s, this is something I, I started my PhD in 98. So it was definitely a field that was still up and coming and very exciting to to be a part of. Yeah, I think sea urchins and zebrafish may be a great <laughs> SpongeBob episode, but probably not a good podcast. <laughs> At least I don't know if I could pull one off and make it interesting. So first question for you here. Yeah. And, and I'm coming at a street level here. We're talking John Q. Public or is my knowledge of, of age. How about this? What is AIDS and how does it differ from HIV? So I'll start with the opposite. I'll start with HIV. So HIV is the virus. So it's human immunodeficiency virus. And AIDS is the disease that it can cause, which is acquired immune deficiency syndrome. So AIDS is really what we saw in the 80s and 90s, where we see this wasting syndrome. We saw a lot of people's immune system was just gone. They, they died really, really fast from this infection. But nowadays, we don't see AIDS as often because we had what we call antiretroviral therapy, which is medicine that that basically protects um, people from getting that sick, right? So right now, we think of it more of a chronic disease. So more of something like diabetes, right? So people are living with this disease, but or living with HIV, but they can, there's different kind of side effects that they have associated with it. But it's not really any more this kind of what we're, it used to be in the 80s and 90s, like a death sentence almost. So that's kind of the history of what, what it is behind the disease there. Yeah. So from what I remember way back in the day, when it first came out, like when I first, I remember it was almost like, like the gay disease, right? Like you would just think like, gay yeah. men got it right and it was like it was like a taboo about it it was like you had to live with some, some sort of crazy lifestyle or do intravenous drugs or something to get it when it first came out from your research what did they think it was or what didn't they know about it like when it first came out like everyone died and now no one's fast forward 40 yeah, years sure. later no one's dying like how, like when it first came out what was the, the initial perception medically Sure. So basically, people started getting these weird cancers. So that was kind of one of the really weird things. It was this very, it's kind of like a skin cancer where you've seen the lesions. Have you ever seen the movie Philadelphia when oh, yeah. Tom Great Hanks movie. and he gets those blotches? Like, yeah. Well, those were the cancer that people with HIV were getting. And so that's, they were like, what, what's going on with this? P people are, they're wasting, their immune system is not great. They're getting this like very weird cancers, which we call opportunistic diseases. So diseases where you normally wouldn't get, but since your immune system is non-functional, then you get all these weird things. So like that, the cancer is one or those typical splotches. So that's historically what would happen. And so they they didn't know, but they did a lot of research. And a lot of it was done at NIH. I'm sure you've heard of a man named Tony Fauci sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and COVID. So he did a, a lot of research and, and others on to figure out exactly what was causing this. And they figured out it was a virus, which they originally called 
not HIV, but they originally called it HTLV-3 because it's a, there's another type of virus that, that they thought it was in the similar class. And um, then they discovered that it's it was all these things were caused by HIV, which is a virus. So it's a retrovirus. So it's pretty technical, but it, I think one of the reasons why it stayed around so long is that a retrovirus is a, it's an RNA virus. So it has RNA inside, but it goes from RNA to DNA. And then that viral DNA can get into your cells and stay there. So even when you're on medicine, so like I said before, the art that that people are on with HIV, it will suppress the virus. But as soon as you stop taking the medicine, the virus will come back. Mm-hmm. It's because it incorporates into the DNA. So actually part of the person, basically? like it, 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 Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it's not something that is like transmissible. So if you were saying an HIV woman with HIV, you couldn't give it to your children. It's not a genetic disease like that, but it hides inside your DNA of your cell. So basically, yes, it goes inside the cell. So it's one of these weird, it can't, it's not cleared. Where it's mm-hmm. when you get a cold, you don't have a, or, or the flu, you know, your body, your immune system fights it. It goes through this whole thing and then it's cleared and, and it goes away. But this is the thing with HIV is it, it kind of never goes away, but people are on medicine to make it stay dormant. So the, uh, so the medicine makes, it doesn't make it go away, doesn't cure it, the current medication, but it mm-hmm. makes it, it makes it go dormant. And then if they stop taking their drug cocktail at yeah. some point, how quick does it come back instantly or over a long period of time? So, so basically the data shows that within two to four weeks is 95% of people, it will come back. So it's pretty fast. So that's why, you know, people with, living with HIV that are taking medicine, it's very, you know, important for them to keep on their regimen because the the medicine is a cocktail because every single drug that's in that cocktail is in charge of stopping a different part of the life cycle of the virus, mm-hmm. right? So the virus, it's pretty technical, but it's like the virus goes into the cell and, and that attaches to the cell, it goes into the cell, then gets into the DNA, it integrates then it makes proteins. And then, so it's all these different things. So you've heard of potentially things called like protease inhibitors or reverse transcriptase inhibitors or non-nucleoside inhibitors. Those are basically all parts of the viral life cycle that it's trying to stop. Mm -hmm. So you use a couple of those drugs so it it stops different parts. Wow. But the one thing that none of them do is stop the the DNA is already in um, the person's DNA. Whoa. Right. So it's it's a very interesting thing to think about. So that comes to like our research and what we're trying to do is we're trying to remove the viral DNA from the host DNA using CRISPR. (laughs) I want to get to that in a second. So just I'm going to go back to my fourth. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's take a step back. So you brought up Fauci and RNA and DNA. I never heard of that until until COVID. So how do we cure COVID? At least have a, you know, a, a vaccine in nine months that basically stops it from being a death sentence to like, you have a cold for a day. Um, and then here yep. we are 40 years later, we still haven't cured AIDS. What's the challenge from difference between COVID and AIDS? That's a fair question. Yeah, between, so COVID is caused by a virus called SARS-CoV, well, there's SARS-CoV-1, and but COVID is SARS-CoV-2. So it's a different type of, it's a coronavirus. So it's a different type of virus than HIV. HIV is a retrovirus. So like I said, that gets into the DNA. 
COVID is not a retrovirus. It's an RNA virus, but it doesn't incorporate into your DNA, right? So you can use different medicines or use different things to block it. So the, what they did for COVID was, remember I talked about the, the viral life cycle. And so the virus first has to get into a cell. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of a virus and, and for COVID, it's called the S protein or the spike protein. Mm-hmm. And then that binds with something on the cell and then can get into the cell. Right. So what they did for the vaccine is they basically what blocks that spike protein. Okay. Right. And so they have antibodies against that spike protein. So it can't get into the it can't get into the cell. So that's okay. one thing. And the reason why HIV, you can't we, they try something similar, but it still doesn't work because it, as soon as you get the infection, it's already incorporated into your DNA. Right. Yeah. So they can have those drugs that will then block it from from getting into more cells, but the damage is already done per se, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why that's one of the main differences between the two. But I think the reason why they did the COVID vaccine so fast is because a lot of it is because they had the infrastructure of studying for 40 years, stuff like HIV, right? Mm-hmm. And those RNA vaccines that were used for COVID had also been tested for other things like Ebola and mm-hmm. Marburg virus and all these other crazy viruses that they had tried to do it, tried to use that mRNA. So it wasn't like they invented that for COVID. It was the technology that was already there and they just basically applied it to this new virus. Wow. That is so fascinating. It's like a real high level experiment. Like you're experimenting. What does this do? What does that do? This works yep. for this, not for that. So fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, we wish it worked for all, for all of it, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes the flu vaccines don't work. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. But you ever get the flu vaccine and then you still get the flu? Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because with the flu, it's mixing up every year. So there's, they say, well, this is what we think the flu is going to look like. But then as the viruses go under replication, they mix up and make mutations. And then it's like a new strain that they haven't really thought was going to be out there. So like the flu vaccine, something from my understanding is something like they're guessing a couple months in advance, what's going to show up come winter time. They'll say these three or four, we'll, we'll inoculate for these three or four. We're banking on these four are going to be here. And if it's something not in that strain, then you get the yeah. flu after you get the flu shot. Yeah, out. and the problem with flu is that it's technical, but segmented RNA virus. So it has art, different RNA pieces. Mm-hmm. So it can kind of mix in with, you know, you can have A, B, and C. And so you can get part of A, part of B, part of C. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's not a virus that they had predicted was going to be around, right? Mm-hmm. It's so, the last flu question. Be- if you get the flu shot, right, and say you get yeah. a strand, you get a strand that's not in there. Does since you have their cousins kind of blocked off, does it make it from getting really bad? Or are, are you do you have less of a flu if you get the flu shot and you have a strain that's not in that compared to someone who just never gets the flu shot? Yeah, so it's a little bit complicated because it depends on kind of what flu that you're you're getting, right? Because you might have some immunity towards it. It might not be a hundred percent, but then you still might get it, but not be as sick. Yeah. Or it could be the opposite where you don't have immunity at all to it. So it's like you never had the vaccine. Gotcha. But normally they're pretty close, right? So they try to predict what flu is going to be out there. So the ones they do are pretty close. So sometimes there is some coverage. So I would always recommend, though, I should say this, and <laughs> maybe this is <laughs> not for your podcast, but to always get the flu vaccine because the flu actually kills more people a year than COVID did in a normal year. Flu is, especially if you're older and immune compromised. Yeah. Yeah. The flu can definitely kill you. 
Oh, here's my last flu point. A year ago, I got my flu shot real late and uh, I got the flu like in October, like the Friday, way before I even thought about getting the flu. It was still warm outside, like, like second yeah, week of okay. October, I got the flu and I got COVID like everyone did, like maybe a year before that. The flu hit me 10 times harder than COVID did. I was out for like a week with the flu where COVID was like a bad day and a half. And Yeah, uh, sure. And COVID too, I don't know if you had the original strain before you got before vaccinations, but it's it mutated over time in a good way for us that it was like less virulent. So it, it caused less disease, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the original point when I said there's multiple different variants. And so mm-hmm. it depends which one kind of pops out. So the COVID that popped out during the epidemic was a really nasty one. But as it spread through people, it got mutated. So it, it got less, n- less nasty, right? Less <laughs> so, nasty. Yeah. So all the, you know, you hear they were calling it A, B, C, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. All the way down the alphabet, yeah. X, Y. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so it depends. Viruses are, I don't know, maybe I'm a nerd, but the viruses are, I think are cool because they change themselves and it's kind of scary, but. <laughs> Here's a question. I'm in the drug industry on the sales side. You're on the opposite side, on the research side, like the preclinical side. Sure. Like what I see a lot in the drug industry as a whole, everyone loves the Me Too. Like we have a class that does good, right? And then there's already three in that class. They do a fourth one that's marginally different than the other three that are already there. And they just manage the symptoms that are already managed and they just have another option for the physician to choose. Side effect profile might be a little different. Efficacy Mm -hmm. might be a little bit different, but it's the same. What I guess my question is this, what motivated you to go for the bomb, focusing on the (laughs) cure? Rather than just, hey, we'll put another inhibitor on the market and we'll get 30% market share and it'll be great for the stock price. What motivated you to focus on the cure rather than managing just the symptoms with another therapy? Sure. And I think the the drugs out there right now, the antiretroviral therapy has come a long way and it does do a really good job at managing this disease. But really, and so it's become kind of, a, like I said before, a chronic condition, but really it's people are never without HIV, right? So if they stop taking that medicine, and they have HIV. There's a lot of stigma still in 2023 with HIV that has never gone away. So people, even though they're taking their medicine every day, there's a huge stigma to be a person living with HIV. And also, I think the main reason that I worked on studying the cure is that people with HIV, even when they're on their medicine, they get other, uh, one big part of my research is they can get really early cardiovascular disease. So people with HIV can get increased like atherosclerosis, they can get increased like cardiac fibrosis, and they can go through heart failure. Another part that I study is people with HIV have cognitive issues. So they have mood disorders, they have, yeah, it can affect their mental health, and it can also affect like their quality of life. So some people living with HIV, even that they're on these drugs, which are keeping them alive, (laughs) they still have, like I said before, um, we call them comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So they can have 10 other things that are affecting them. So, you know, it's, it's really still affecting their daily lives, even though they're living longer. And now, I don't know what the exact stat is now, but more than 50% of people with HIV are over the age of 50. Really? Right. So so now we're getting into this realm of like people with HIV are, are older and now they're getting more of these other kind of diseases faster. Anything that's doing with aging, right? Yeah. 
that having HIV or living with HIV is accelerating that process for them. And so it's huge. And even if you look at the cardiovascular field, if you go to the doctor and they check you for cholesterol and HDL, LDL, right? And then they say, yes, you're, you need to be on a medicine or no, you don't need to be on a medicine to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, people with HIV still after you account for that, they still have a lot of cardiovascular disease that is just due from HIV. So even if yeah. they manage their symptoms, they take their cocktail, that still brings about, they still have a higher incidence of cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And men, it's one and a half times more because men have a higher risk in general, but in women, it's three times higher risk. Of cardiovascular. Wow. Even if, even if their symptoms are well-managed. Yes. Wow. That's no joke. I just hear just quick Google third, still 39 million people. Yeah, 39 are- million. Mm-hmm. 39 million cool. yeah. 39 million people living with HIV in 2022. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Wow. It is. And you know, I it's crazy because since it is a manageable disease by antiretroviral therapy, there's I think the younger generation is not really like they didn't live through it like we did, like seeing how mm-hmm. devastating it, you know, was in the 80s and 90s and yeah. um yeah, I've heard from people, oh, is that still a thing anymore? And I'm like, yeah, 39 million people have that. Wow. <laughs> are living with HIV. And what know? percent of them, do you know, I say out of that 39 million, what percent actually goes to AIDS now from HIV to AIDS? Maybe they're not well managed or they don't take their drugs. Like, Yeah. So all of the stuff we were talking about so far is, you know, taking drugs and being well managed is, is this is in the US and you know Europe and those kind of countries. But I mean, there is still a huge amount of HIV burden in places like Africa or even Thailand, which is getting better. All those places that maybe they don't have access to as good as drugs as we do, they might have access to antiretroviral therapies. But the problem when you only have one of those drugs is that you can get resistance. So I'm sure you heard this in, in, your, in being in the drug field is you can get drug resistance, right? So mm-hmm. I think before you were talking about why is there five drugs that do the same thing? Well, for HIV, it's because if you get a mutation, then another drug in the same class mm-hmm. might still help you, right? So sure. that's why there's those other options. So I would say this is the first line regimen that you should use. But if you develop resistance, then you then there's more kind of stuff to go to in the same class because they're slightly different. So in HIV, I think that's a great thing for people with HIV that there's other options out there, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know offhand, to be honest with you, what the percentage is that people go go to terminal AIDS right now. And the US is very, very little. But there's also people that are out of care, right? So not everyone yeah. with HIV will go into care. Some people don't even get diagnosed until they show up at the hospital because they're really sick. Wow. They still know they have right? it. Or, yeah. They don't go to the doctors. They just yeah. ignore the symptoms for a while, something like that. Yeah. And there's a huge burden of HIV in rural areas. Mm-hmm. So like, if you think about like the opioid epidemic in rural areas is huge. Mm-hmm. The same with HIV epidemic is still huge in those rural areas. Um, I still think even in the United States, we haven't addressed every population mm-hmm. and and not every population is in good care, right? So I, I'm not sure the numbers, but I think it's still kind of a global thing that we, we need to get people with multiple diseases, not just HIV, into care. 
Here's something, think of famous people, like who went through yeah. this. So the one I remember, the one is Magic Johnson. And Magic, I remember beating, my, beating the Sixers back in the day in the championship. And he was- well, I was just, I'm a Celtics fan. He's the best point guard. Jordan's probably the best shooting guard ever. And mm-hmm. then you see he has it, like, whoa. And then you remember growing up, the Brady Bunch, you know, who didn't watch yeah. the Brady Bunch growing up in the 90s and 80s. The dad got it. The dad yep. got it. Yep. Robert Reed, he dies of AIDS. Yep. A famous person who I obviously way before our time, but that like they said, Rock Hudson was a famous movie star that got it. And yeah. I think it was Rocky Five. Rocky fought Tommy Gunn Morrison. It was this like street fighter that Rocky yeah. it was one of the Rockies. And he was like the leading bad guy in that movie, and he died of it. So it hits the famous and not famous. And then I just Googled who's living with HIV now. And I didn't know this. Charlie Sheen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, I didn't know that. Yeah. It hits the famous, not famous, yeah. rich, not rich. That's crazy in this day and age. Yeah. And I just think even people with multiple sexual partners, even like young young kids, I feel like they're so, there's still all these things to worry about, which terrifies me as being a mom of, of young girls. Is people think, they don't really think about these things anymore. It used to, especially in our age, it used to be like, don't get pregnant. But there's so many sexual <clears throat> transmitted diseases that, you know. We definitely don't want to get it for sure. So yeah. there's still spread by intravenous drug use and with the opioid epidemic, fentanyl, all that stuff. So let's fast forward now. You mentioned the word CRISPR. So you, we talked about what motivated you to finding a cure. Tell us about your research, what you're doing and where we are and how far we are from a cure. Is that a fair, fair question? Yeah, sure. It's great. Sure. So first of all, I'll tell you what CRISPR is. So CRISPR is We've heard a lot in the news lately about CRISPR. I don't know if you've heard of the, in China, they made CRISPR babies. So they genetically modified babies that, okay, so that was a big thing in the news. There was also this thing on, I don't know if it was Netflix or whatever, but they have people that kind of CRISPR themselves because they want bigger muscles or they want all this stuff. So I think in the press, it's been really a thing that's like genetic gene editing. It's really scary to people. But I think what people don't understand is that CRISPR is used in a lot of diseases. So I'll tell you what CRISPR is. So it's a very long word, (laughs) but CRISPR basically has two parts. So one is the, the Cas9, which is an enzyme. So that will tell you, that does the cutting. So imagine you have DNA, you're going to cut some pieces out, right? So the Cas9 is the part that does the cutting. And then there's a second part, it's called a guide RNA. And that's just a piece of sequence that will tell you where to cut. So it's pretty much, that's how I describe it is. The one part tells you wh- where to cut, the other part does the cutting, right? So in HIV, what we're trying to do, like I said before, HIV gets into the DNA. So what we're trying to do is specifically cut out using CRISPR, that part of the DNA, the the viral DNA. And then your body has this really amazing way to repair DNA. So if you have have any mutations or you're doing those things, your body can repair itself, which is kind of cool, right? So then it will repair it. So we'll put those kind of back together. But basically it can repair itself. And so that's kind of the strategy for us is trying to remove what we think is like the foreign DNA to repair the DNA. And that way, when, and we're doing this in, in preclinical studies, so um, I do a lot of non-human primate work. So when we do that in, in these preclinical models, and then you stop the antiretroviral therapy, then there's no DNA there. So you lose the ability to get that virus to come back in and, and cause disease. So in people, obviously, that's the ultimate goal would be, you would give them this CRISPR to remove the DNA. 
And then once you did that, you could remove them from their drugs and then they would be cured. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different strategies. So that was one to directly target the virus. So that's what we're working on. And right now we've done it in monkeys and mice and and showed that it's safe in those systems. And it can do what it, like we showed that it can cut the DNA, specifically where we're supposed to cut it. But we're doing a lot of things just to look at safety Mm-hmm. Because obviously these type of things are, you're going in there and cutting DNA, right? So that scares everyone. And if it's not really specific, then what we call is like off targets. So you don't want it to cut where it shouldn't cut, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to do something where it's going to go and cut up all your DNA and take out pieces. <laughs> um, so this that is- That would be bad. As you yeah, that would be bad. That's a bad. <laughs> um, so that's the strategy. And, and there's a lot of different scientific ways that we're looking to make it specific to just where to HIV. And it starts with like the sequence, your DNA is ATGC, all those things. So there's specific sequences that we can look at that are specific to the virus that aren't found in human. Right. So we start with that and then we go like layer down and look at different safety things. How do we deliver it? Where is it in the cells? All those type of things. So I think that it's a super cool technology and it has a lot of potential. And actually, I should say there's a company that's a spinoff from Temple called Excision Biotherapeutics. And they just started a phase one, two clinical trial to look at to see if this product is safe in humans. People are starting to look at that. And CRISPR has been used in other diseases. I don't know if you heard of Spark Therapeutic. Have you heard of at Penn, there was two children that had that are blind. One little girl who's from Upper Dublin, actually, and then a little boy. And they have a, a rare genetic disease in their eye that makes them blind. And so basically they they gave them a CRISPR therapy, they gave them a CRISPR therapy in their eye that removed the bad gene and put a new gene in. And then now they can see. Within they did it in both eyes and within I remember talking to the parents and they said the first time she went outside and said, oh, my God, I can see the stars. Right. CRISPR has been used for a lot of like they're using it for sickle cell to try to do sickle cell. These really like debilitating disorders like Duchenne's muscular disorder, which is basically kids will die if they have that. So they're so CRISPR can be used in many things like taking out a bad gene putting in a good one. It can even change a single single nucleic acid. So if you have a mutation, that's a bad that goes from, you can change one single thing. So it gets down to like really molecular levels, but on the, Mm -hmm. on the power of it is that it can, it's been used in all these diseases. And now I always think of these two kids that now they can see, whereas like they couldn't see because they had this. That is, that the technology is just gets crazier and crazier and more impressive. That is wild. What do you- and as a female scientist, I think it's super powerful because the two, there's two women that got the Nobel Prize in 2020 for CRISPR in chemistry. One of the women who is from California, Jennifer Durunda, she had wrote it. She has like a book that I, I'll have to give it to you. It's, it's like the first time that two women had won. Nobel Prize in chemistry. So uh, with that technology, what do you think the major challenges are to developing a cure? Do you think we're like on the doorstep or is this the first step? Like wh- where do you think we are? If you yeah. have a vision the next 10 years, like where is this like the first step towards a cure or what do you think? 
Personally, I am optimistic. I think that it's really promising. And there's been a lot of different things that we've done in the past as a field that really hasn't been as promising as this, right? One other technology that has been used for HIV care is a bone marrow transplantation. So I don't know if you've heard about, there's been a couple of people that have been cured of HIV. Okay. Um, right. Okay. So they all had leukemia of some mm -hmm. sort. And so the a bone marrow transplantation is basically when you get radiation to kill off all of your immune cells. So it makes you super, super, super sick. You kill off all your immune cells, and then they give you an infusion of new bone marrow cells. So bone marrow cells are stem cells, and stem cells can then repopulate and make new immune cells. Mm -hmm. So what they did in this case is they took the bone marrow from a person that had a mutation in the cell receptor called CCR5, for HIV, it's called CCR5 Delta 32 because it's missing like a chunk. It sounds like an Eagles play. Something they're playing like Sirianni, Sirianni would call in for third and long or something. Yeah, yes, true. This is the third and long. This is a you can't use this strategy in the general population or people that don't have cancer because a third of people that get bone marrow transplantations die just from getting the bone marrow transplantation. Wow, it's bad. It's like if you have cancer and you're going to die. Like this is something like last resort type of thing okay. for people. So it's not something that could be readily used. But I think that gave the field this kind of, it gave them a kind of hope that there is something out there that we could use. And so we've been using some other strategies that are based on that. But anyway, so so the people would get the bone marrow from another person. 1% of the population has this Delta 32 mutation and it makes them... So they can't get infected with HIV, basically. And so they got the bone marrow and then the person that cell would grow in the person's body and kind of take over. And then they were cured. Mm -hmm. They couldn't find any HIV wow. in the people's bodies. But this is some extreme case, basically last resort for cancer, but they used it to try to cure these two these people. So that happened in I think two or three people now. So that kind of was very exciting. So that's it. They're off all meds and they almost died, but they went to the brink and then they yeah. came back. And when they came back, the AIDS was gone. Yep. The wow. HIV was no, no. Yeah. And actually, but since then, one of them who had, was HIV free for 13 years, he died of leukemia. Wow. So he got cancer again and died and passed Jesus. from cancer, but he never, and he donated his body to science. So I think they can't find any HIV anywhere wow. that they've looked at. So they called the first. Um, one was the Berlin patient and the second was the London patient. And actually the London patient, I've met them both actually, but the London patient has come to Philly a couple of times to give like talks and stuff. Really? Um, but yeah, his experience. Yeah. So it gave the field hope after 40, 30, 40 years that they could. So I think we're on to something. The technology is is improving, I think, almost on a daily basis. But I think we're still far off from CRISPR because to be in mainstream because there is potential side effects. There is. What are the side effects? That, that was my next question. What are the side effects of, of CRISPR from just regurgitating what you said or repeating what you said? It goes in, there's two parts. One finds that part of yep. the DNA they need to find. They have the guide and, the, and then the clipper. And yep. they guide, they said this part of the DNA is where the yep. HIV virus is. And, and the then other they clip it. Yep. So what type of size, just say it's a clean find and a clean cut, what type of side effects do you find so far? Yeah, starting on the infusion. So you would, any type of, so we would infuse this into a person. So it's, it's not a pill, it's an infusion. 
It's an infusion, yeah. Okay, so, so it's you an infuse infusion. the crispr in, okay. Yeah, so it's so the way that I like to discuss it is when you can get a vaccine that's in like a what they call an adeno-associated viral vector. So it's in a viral vector, like a dead viral vector. They put the DNA in there that has this cutter and it has the sequence. And so they have a big, it's going to be like a big saline bag. You do a slow drip. Anytime you're infusing something into a, a person, regardless if it's CRISPR or not CRISPR, there's possibilities of infusion reactions, like just inflammatory reactions. But that could be basically just in general, right? But then there's also people could have some type of inflammatory reaction to the product. They can have like an like immune response um, to whatever you're having. So they could have a and you know adverse or immune response and that can happen to anything like some people get vaccines and get some bad immune responses it's not common but it can happen right mm -hmm. but then on the crispr side you want to always make sure you, it's hard because right now in the clinical trials they're looking at people 30 years 15 i think it's 15 years they have to follow people for 15 years because they want to make sure in 15 years they don't develop some crazy cancer or something sure. right Absolutely. but the technology is so new that you know, we haven't seen any of those things, but it doesn't mean that 15 years from now, something, some signal won't come up. Right. Yeah. But for, for most people that are getting these now, they might not even live to 15 years if they don't get these kind of medicine, this kind yeah. of like therapies. Wow. Right. There's so many um, considerations. Oh my gosh. So there's so many. And so we're trying the best to like, look at all the different safety things. Right. So you want it to do the best job it can with the least amount of side effects. And again, like I said, the CRISPR is hard because you're manipulating DNA. So you want to absolutely be sure that you're doing that in the correct way, right? Because, but I think the power of it is like amazing. And it's just shown how far it's come yeah. very quickly. Yeah. So th there's a lot of considerations. When you say like, so funny, you go, you, you want to manipulate the DNA in a correct way. I think that's a good idea. That's good. It, like like yeah. your DNA, one, did man, we have the ability to manipulate anyone's DNA. It just blows my mind. Like that is crazy. I think if you said brought, if you said that to maybe someone looking into this in the 80s, it would be it would, like the yeah. aliens would land on the planet, right? I mean, that has to be so foreign. If you brought the, if you brought this, if you mentioned that to yeah. a researcher forty years ago, yeah. what, 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 like, what do you think their reaction would be? Like, this is what we're doing. Yeah, it would be like sci-fi sci stuff, right? Stuff you see yeah. on TV. And I still feel like there's so many people that think that, like sci-fi, and it, that's why I said at the beginning, CRISPR has been, if it's utilized in a correct way, like he made babies the way that he wanted. He, he's in jail. He CRISPRed them. Wow. It's kind of like he he wanted. I don't know. So, so like, there's those things, and there's people that take this technology, and they're like, "Oh, instead of going to the gym every day, I can crisper myself some big muscles." And if there's Whoa, all these, I can show you all these resources. And there's, I wish I could remember the net. There's a Netflix special or something. It was like, oh, what's it called? Let's see if I can find it. CRISPR. It's like people that. So you could uh, say, "Oh, I want like, uh, I want to be ripped," and you could mess with the DNA if you know what you're doing, and you could like clip the things that would not make you ripped, so you're you look better without doing the work. Yeah. So that kind of gives like the whole the whole technology it makes it scary because people are out there just doing whatever the hell they want to do with technology that should be used to to save people's life, but then they're like, "Oh, I think I should." Do X, Y, and Z. To do more um, like cosmetic things. It's more like the cosmetics. Yeah, yeah. That's but I mean, I think the same. I mean, we can say that with a lot of things, right? Because like plastic surgery came. So yes. yeah.
No, it totally makes sense. How about this? If you were to sketch out optimistically, and this is an optimistic sketch, if you said, all right, best case scenario, walk us through the next 10 years of the milestones. And if you had to put a a, a dollar on, you know what, if this CRISPR is what you think it is, when do you think we cross the goal line and say cured? If that's a fair question. Sure. Wait. Before you do that, I found the show that you have to watch because it's really crazy. Go it's ahead. called Unnatural Selection. Okay. Unnatural Selection. Okay. It's on Netflix. Okay. Unnatural Select. I will put that in the show notes and I will take a look at that. Unnatural Selection. That sounds crazy to be. Just, you can just tell it sounds crazy. Okay. So getting back to your other question. So putting a timeline on. When you cross the goal. When do you think we could cross yeah. the goal line and say touchdown cured? Yeah, so that's like a really super loaded question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, because, no, it's almost yeah. an unfair question. I just, uh, you well, just, yeah, because we it. haven't done like in 40 years, we've had just a handful of people. So it's hard to say. And, yeah. And, but I think it's hard because I think, you know, we didn't start using CRISPR for HIV until 2014 or 15. Okay. Right. And so it's been not even 10 years. Yep. And we've come from just learning about this technology to putting it in people. So it's for technology, like that's pretty fast. So I can just imagine in the next 10 years, I feel like we'll come so much closer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say we will career. And you, there's so many, there's so, I mean, HIV is so crazy and there's so many different things on multiple levels that there's, it, it changes, it can hide in the body. Different people have different reactions to stuff. And so I think we'll see it used in people in the next five years for sure. But I don't know if we'll say like we are curing yeah. it by this. And and I should say that this technology alone might not be enough, but we might use it in combination with something else. Sure. Yeah. And would be, you know what I mean? So absolutely, there's all different like immunologic techniques that people are using. So maybe you would use a CRISPR and an immunologic t- technique to then cure or something. So I think that, yeah. I don't know. I'm put it this way. I'm excited to see in the next like 10 years where all this kind of goes because it's been less than 10 years and we've come this far. So I think, yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, First off, hats off to the work you and your crews doing and everyone trying to make the world a better place. Just the way my brain works. I I, I divide like uh, diseases into two things. There's like the treatment, right? Like the cure. And then there's the vaccine, the prevention, like, Is there a vaccine being worked on? Like this is like the treatment where you have it and we're going to try to take it out of your body and cure you. So there is a number of vaccines aren't my specialty, but they've been working on a HIV vaccine for 40 years. Okay. Wow. So just to, you know, getting back full, full thing to what we talked about for COVID, how that took 18 months or something, right? Maybe a year. I don't even remember. It was very fast. But for HIV, it's been 40 years people have been working on a vaccine. Wow. So, but I mean, if you look at how far vaccines have come, then there's always new technologies like the mRNA. Now people are using that for trying to use that for HIV. But HIV, I mean, it gets into your DNA, right? And so that's always the thing because vaccine is basically on the antibody response, right? Mm -hmm. So you put something in your body, you make an antibody response to it. So the next time your body sees it, it has a leg up, right? And then it can fight it. And so people have tried that with HIV, but it's it's never like enough, right? They get more and more promising results, but yeah, it's tough. Now what they have for HIV prevention is PrEP. 
Mm-hmm. And so that is antiretroviral drugs. Basically, people are taking as a pro, pro, you know prophylactics. It's not a vaccine, but that has had very good ability because it stops the replication cycle of the virus, right? So mm-hmm. a vaccine is an antibody mediated response, whereas if you use these drugs, they stop the virus from integrating or replicating or stuff. So that's been more effective than a vaccine. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Couple questions here just to wrap up. Sure. One, so good. I appreciate you walks us through this. I feel like I, I can get three more credits in my college transcripts for the science class I never took <laughs> in microbiology. Thank <laughs> you. You should go back and do that. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I, I got three. I, I have 131 credits now instead of 128. Um, how about this? What advice would you give to, say, an inspiring researcher, maybe some young guy or girl out there that's interested in pursuing a career in HIV virus research or similar fields? What, what advice would you give them? First of all, anyone going into research at this point, I think it's like super exciting. There's the technologies are amazing, right? So when I was a PhD student, we would always laugh that sequencing, instead of just sending it out to a company and it's done, you can sequence the whole genomes now, we would put them on these big gels, right? So I think you can accomplish so much more. Now, it's just super exciting. I would, if anyone is interested in science and doesn't want to be a medical doctor that deals with patients, like this is an amazing way to get that same gratification out of it. And and you have so much academic freedom, right? Mm-hmm. You can study whatever you want and really kind of like figure stuff out. And then you can see in the end that can maybe help lots of people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, I just think it's exciting. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, That's every true. day I look forward to my job and going out there and figuring out what we can work on. And the other part too, that I didn't really discuss today is I work a lot with the community. So we have two grants that have a community aspect. So I actually get to work side by side sometimes with people in the community. So people that are living with HIV. And so I think that's a really important aspect too, when you're doing research, because some people are so focused on what they're doing, but they don't realize how do people in the community think about gene editing and CRISPR for for HIV? Like that's such an important factor, right? Because if we develop a technology that could be used in people, but then people don't accept it. So we're working a lot on kind of education and talking to people about getting their feedback from the beginning. So I think that's another important thing, I think. And it's very, to me, it's very satisfying because you're not working in this this closed circle. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're out with the people. You're actually the, actually the people that are living with the disease in the present day. That, that's yeah, pretty, yeah, exactly. And, and that, so I think that powerful. is yeah, super you know, rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. How about this? We spoke about so much about the HIV virus, AIDS, the famous people that are affected, or the work that's going on, what's it like doing research and being involved with the community. Dr. Berto, if you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, sure. what would that lesson be? So especially for the younger people that didn't live through this huge HIV epidemic, which is still an epidemic to date, it's still out there and it's still affecting the, the lives of, of people. I would just say my main point is don't don't blow it off. Don't think it doesn't exist anymore. It it does. And it's very can be very debilitating. It's something that you will literally live with the rest of your life until they're secure. So that's kind of my take home messages. 
It's still out there. It's not like you saw in the movies. It's a whole different ballgame. Still out there. Be vigilant. Be safe. That kind of stuff, right? Yeah, for sure. And then how about this? To lighten it up a little bit. Two fun fun questions to to, uh, ask these two questions to every guest. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. But how about this? Uh, Fun one. Totally uh, non sequitur, uh, totally unrelated. If you could spend the day with anyone alive or dead, famous, not famous, just spend the day with them. Who would you spend the day with? All right. So it's going to be really nerdy. So uh, I would say Tony Fauci. <laughs> really? Go, okay, go ahead. <laughs> what, what would you do and how would you spend the day? Well, I mean, just going and maybe more like when he was involved in like the government and like COVID responses and stuff. I just think he's just like such a smart guy. And I just think it's a, a day in his life would be very exciting, but very, you know, he's in his 80s now and he was doing all that stuff with COVID when he was 80. I just think, wow, I'm only 47. <laughs> Hopefully when I'm 80, I can still be like killing it out there. And if everyone in the world is looking at him to say like, what the hell do we do during COVID? Right. So like, I thought that would be really interesting to see how he handled everything. And yeah, probably one of the more influential or infamous people that you would the last five years without question. I mean, one of the most famous people in the world. I mean, during the COVID thing, he he was on TV every 20 minutes. Well, no, thank you for sharing that. How about this? Dr. (laughs) Birdo, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, Okay. What would that quote or motto say? So this is probably um this is probably one from my personal life and and you know like from all this is something from my fitness journey that I always said it and I always says it was like progress not perfection, right? So like always moving forward in your life and you know trying to like you're never going to be perfect, you're never going to hit everything 100%, but if you're making progress and you're you know, working your hardest and kind of doing that. So I always think like pr- that that's important, right? You don't have to be perfect, but you you need to be like always moving forward and always making progress and always trying to like better yourself. Progress, not perfection, I think is about as good as a spot as any to wrap this up. Bur- Dr. Trish Birdo, like to thank you for joining us. It was awesome to speak with you and I uh, appreciate you.